Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. My feet are cold. Oh. Yeah, I, I am. I, I'm wearing a sweater, but I forgot to put slippers on. <laughs> you have slippers? Yeah, I have slippers. Okay. <clears throat> what kind of slippers you got? I don't live in California. I, I, I have slippers. Don't talk that way to me. You've been <laughs> in my house. You know how drafty my house is. My house well, has my house has the original furnace from 1922, mm. and which means there is a a chimney blast coming straight up the middle through one. Of I think it's the I ports. think it's pronounced chim chimbly blast. <laughs> <laughs> the barrel port of heat avails. Um, <coughs> I have I have a couple of pairs of, and then uh, nothing comes out of the other ones. Nothing. Yeah. Well, you live in California, right? It's like I wear socks like a gentleman. It's like eight hundred degrees every day. Oh, you kidding me? California? Ooh, it's sunny all the time. We go swimming. Yeah, I know. My dad used to say the the uh, coldest winter I ever spent was the summer in San Francisco. This shit's over. Uh, I have three pairs of slippers. Wow. Uh, Why would that surprise me? I have an old pair of, uh, like elk skin slippers Mm. from, um, from the old days from Alaska. And then I have a more modern pair of slippers. (laughs) I got (laughs) Wi-Fi. It's a more modern, you know, they have a new, the, the sort of a wishbone suspension. And then somebody oh, that gives you better torsion control. That's right, exactly, exactly. Better cornering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have a pair of slippers that were given to me as a Christmas present. It's a classic Christmas present gift for a man. It's a fallback, yeah. Yeah, get a slipper. And I, I have a pair of slippers that are the UGG brand. Oof! But they don't look like the the boots. They're just normal slippers. But that they doesn't are. make you look like a twenty year old. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't look like a twenty year old girl that doesn't know how to dress. You look like a normal guy, but in slippers that are from Australia. I'm so tired all the time. So I put them on when I'm walking around my my uh, my old house in the winter. But I forgot today. So right now I have a uh, I, I've just wrapped a jacket around my. <laughs> Pretty soon, that voice, that dad voice, is not going to be affected. No, it's going to be. I'm. I, I hear myself transitioning to it all, more and more all the time. Just like where, where the hell are my slippers? <laughs> I don't understand how I could have three pairs of slippers and I can't. That happens to me all the time. I, I've started buying multiples of my staple articles of clothing, and I still can't find them. I have six different Carhartt caps, and it's unusual that I can find one of them. <laughs> Because I just keep losing them or mislaying them. Your Carhartt cap is such an icon. It's like the Swiss Army knife of headgear. Yeah. It keeps you warm. You know, a lot of the heat escapes, you know, through the head. Through the head, yeah. Yeah. And you can take a nap in it. You can. You can You can curl all the way up inside it. Yeah, you, you, can, can, just... you can go into a little ball and rock. <laughs> just get, there's a ladder in there and you just keep climbing <laughs> up into your hat. <laughs> you, you know, I, I was just in New York and I took the plunge. I don't, I'm not even sure I'm going to tell you about this because you're going to... I'm not sure what your reaction is going to be. I like to think I'm supportive. All right. Well, I took the plunge and I bought some skinny jeans. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. You're struggling. If I hadn't, if I hadn't prefaced that, you, you might have had a different reaction. Well, John, five years ago, wouldn't have worried. Uh, well, that's true. That's true. But now, you you're know... In a, you're in a transitional period. You're having a I Samuel L. Jackson. Group. No, are you kidding me? Oh, come on. Be serious. I, I but, sat around all weekend just being envious. Uh-huh, I've just been uh-huh. envious. I've been envious of you and all my friends like for a week. Not publicly. 
No, no, no. But privately envious. You guys are you guys are are, are sitting around talking about dicks in New York, and I'm I'm, I'm sitting there watching Chinese movies. Mm-hmm. It's depressing. So anyway, I, so I wish skinny. Been there, you were the you were the missing element. Oh, yeah. Did, did Sean need comfort? Uh, no, Sean was on point. My God, he was hilarious, and it was. It He's was gotten a, so handsome, John. Giant love fest. Oh gosh, can we talk about? Can we circle back to that? I'd love to hear more about yeah. that. But, but anyway, no, are they stylistically jeans. skinny or are they physically skinny? They're both. Mm. I, so, I'm, so here's what happened. A, a, a year ago, Jonathan Colton and I were playing that Christmas show down at the City Winery in the uh, in the uh, lower lower part of Manhattan at the um, Meatpacking Soho's. Or wherever the hell. And I jumped up on stage during the sound check in a kind of cavalier way, like, yeah, I'm a 40-something guy, but I'm going to just, I'm not going to take the stairs. I'm going to jump up on the stage. And uh, and the crotch of my pants ripped out. Mm. And it was during the sound check, and I'm like, this is, you know, this is what it's come to. I am a 40-something guy, <laughs> and I'm lucky I didn't throw my back out. When I jumped up on the stage, but I did <laughs> totally destroy my pants. You start to really, you have just enough cognition to know something is going wrong, and you yeah. make that the category error of trying to compensate mid leap. Yeah. Uh, well, and, I, and when, <laughs> when, I, when I felt and heard the ripping, I was like, hernia? Was did I just rip my groin? No, thank goodness, it was just these old khakis. So I said to everybody at the show, I was like, listen, I'm not going to play this show with my pants ripped. I'm going to go out. This is like Manhattan. This is a, a, a prime shopping district here, the West Village. I'm going to run over. I'm going to get a pair of pants. So I run out of the venue and I'm going shop to shop through this uh, sort of West Village shopping area. And every pair of pants is $500. Like I run into a, a Ralph Lauren store, but it's some kind of flagship Ralph Lauren store. Mm. Where all the you know and they, the the the, uh, the pants oh, are all from. Oh, it's not like an Italy outlet store. You're not going to get like a forty two dollar pair of pants. No, I was like, where where's the sale? Where's the sale table? And the you know and the guy in the shawl collar sweater was just like, uh, just chewing me out the door. Like, <laughs> no, thank you. Your patronage is not welcome. No public restrooms. So I'm wandering around down there, and I'm like, I got to find a pair of pants, and I'm I'm in this strange world where I've. I have grown used to anywhere in America being able to go 10 feet in any direction and find a $10 pair of pants made in China. And now now I'm in this world where all these pants were hand stitched by some Italian grandmother and I just need a pair of pants. It's not I I'm not kidding around. And then somebody says to me, "Have you been to Uniqlo?" <laughs> "Have you been to Uniqlo?" And I said, "I don't know, I haven't." And they were like, "Oh, that that's your answer." And so I run into this store, Uniqlo, which is this giant sort of H&M style place. But all the clothes are from Japan. It's kind of like it's like Target for hipsters. Super hip. Everybody in there is super hip. And I run around and they have no pants bigger than a 32 waist. But somewhere up in the very back of the store, I find these pants. And I re- it turned out I really liked them. I found a pair that fit me. It was in some dad on a dad shelf. Like, like for the, for the dad that accidentally got dragged into the store, there's this one shelf where his daughter, you know, where, where the daughters go. It's like some stores have a session yeah. with toys. The kids can play. Yeah, exactly. It's one, like, come up and try these on. Like a hardware store with a section of toys. This is a hipster store with a one shelf for dads. And, and, and like the largest size they carry is 36. So they still have to be kind of fit dads even. 
And I like to think I'm a fit dad. But you're, you know, give yourself credit. You are also a tall man. Tall, tall. I'm a tall dad. Tall, fit dad. You're, you're a Falstaffian father. Yeah, I'm not quite fit, but tall dad, let's say. What are you like? You're like, well, why don't you like 6'2", six 6'3"? Six I'm 6'3". And at the, at the most, I have to say, I was over 240 pounds, edging to 250 pounds. That's not that bad. It's pretty bad. Mm. Because, you know, I was, sh- I was shuffling around like a golem. <laughs> There's ain't no Uniglo numbers. <laughs> through the streets of Prague, uh, enacting vengeance. And, uh, and that's not how I want to live the, the next 40 years. So anyway, I, so I'm in Manhattan again. I'm walking around down in, on the Lower East Side. I'm looking for Todd Berry's house. I can't, I, and I got lost. And then I see the Uniqlo, and I remember, oh, I had a great time in there. So I went in again. And... I'm standing there, I'm looking around, and there's this big pile of, like, skinny jeans. A thing that I have been opposed to. It's, it's a, I, if I could say, it's been a punchline. Uniqlo yeah. skinny jeans have actually been a punchline for a year for you. That's right. They've been a punchline, and, and, and particularly a punchline when an older dad, when even a fit dad, goes into a store like this and thinks to himself, I'm going to get some of these skinny jeans. You know what? I'm a young guy. And I did ex- I did precisely that. I was like, you know, I'm a young, I'm a young, healthy, fit dad. I'm gonna get some of these skinny jeans, and I got them, and I love them. Hmm. And I'm, and I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it, you know, because I'm. We've talked about this before. I'm always trying to gauge, like, am because I am inside myself, am I missing some crucial cue that I have become that I have, I'm verging into self parody. <laughs> Like M, I am. I do not want to be the dad who dyes his hair <laughs> orange. Out of like out it's of like, like a tiny ponytail in the back. Yeah, well, I mean that that you know the the tiny ponytail we all know not to do, but the but like this the skinny jeans. Like you see guys, you see older guys who are still wearing like really tailored clothes, and you're like that guy looks great. But then you look over at, at the at the guy over here that's like wearing a Nirvana t-shirt and you know and has like a roach clip earring and you're like that guy doesn't look great right he's he's missing he's missed a cue he's missed some he missed a turn that's right so anyway so i walk out in these skinny jeans and i'm walking down the street and i'm feeling like i'm i am rocking these skinny jeans i'm legitimately rocking them and they're comfortable and they're inexpensive so Merlin, I feel like I'm on a, I'm on a, there's some, there's some precipice I'm on. I came back here to my house after my trip to New York and I'm looking at the clothes in my closet and I'm like, none of these clothes are skinny enough for me anymore. Uh Oh, all these clothes are like, uh, they're all blousy. I don't want, I don't want blousy pants now that I'm one of the skinny jean generation. I can't walk around in these hammer pants. Getting- <laughs> <laughs> that one pair of skinny jeans has made you, and then come you have some time away, right? It helps. You get some time away. That's the beauty of travel. Right. You come back, and now you've got a little bit of perspective. I got a little bit of perspective, and I realized that I have been buying kind of... It's hard to buy oversized clothes when you are already an oversized person. Is that really true? In most, in most stores, it used to be the largest possible size they had was the thing that I, I needed to buy. But now... We're living in this triple extra large world. And there's been a lot of inflation in sizes. Incredible. Where you go into a store. I mean, it used to be in the thrift stores, like the, the XL section of any rack was like five or six items that, 
you know, five or six freakish items at the end of the scale where it was well, like it 17 to be and the, a half inch neck. And, 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 you know, as recently as maybe 10, 15, I'd say 15 years ago, an XL, even accounting for shrinkage over the years, an XL in a thrift store would be like a large medium. Yeah, today. right. It barely, barely goes over your belly button. Yeah. Yeah. You walk around looking like Damien Gerardo all the time. <laughs> so, but now there's quadruple extra larges. And I realized that I had, I have a lot of like, coats jackets like a like a sport coats that that don't fit me at all they're they're i, I bought them i bought them they're too large and i was i was trying to dim, i was trying to make my size seem smaller by wearing a too big jacket that's a, a, that, that's a that that is an error people make yeah and so i look like a little boy who was who somebody hit with a grotesquerie ray <laughs> <laughs> and Come over here for a minute, son. This only took a couple seconds. Exactly. Like, hey, there's a five-year-old boy. Let's hit him with that Captain America uh, uh, radon. Oh, and, you get the Vita rays. Yeah, and then he's just like, Rargh. His clothes get big, too. Can, can, I, can I address the baby elephant in the room? Is it? I, I, I feel like I've seen some photos of you. I, we have not addressed this directly as we try to avoid talking about food and fatherhood. With, with generally failing um, all, all that i know now so with your newfound um food uh paradigm your new you new your new uh thought technologies about food have you lost a little weight i've lost a little weight okay and i and i and i have i have more energy i'm i'm back to feeling youthful and but, but, uh, but, but the john of a year ago would have would have been doubly sarcastic because those are jokey pants for for that you would never even be able to wear right yeah, Kinda? well, the John of a year ago in skinny jeans would have looked like a like a blue ice cream cone, and it doesn't and sound very good. Like a blue double scoop ice cream cone, and and now, like, yeah, right, exactly, a <laughs> denim ice cream giant, grotesque. But now I feel like yeah, I'm I'm bopping, weaving in and out of in and out of downtown crowds, and. um you know, I like to think that my legs are one of my best features. You got stems, <laughs> and uh, and so I'm like, hey, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I wanna, I wanna have, I wanna have some clothes that fit me a little bit better. And um, but you know, this is the funny thing about about like where I am now, having having changed my eating enough that I feel better, and I feel like I look better and my clothes fit better. I'm now, I'm now struggling against this. This tendency, this like, um, this radical tendency to be dissatisfied with where I am now and want and set a new goal for myself, which is totally unrealistic and soul destroying. You know, like if, if you had told me three months ago that I would look and feel like I do today, I would have said, that's the goal. But having achieved that goal now, now I have this this like creeping body dysmorphia, this uh, this sort of addict behavior where I'm like, well, all right, so I, I've lost I've lost some amount of weight and I feel much better. Now the goal is to become Jack Lane and to swim across San Francisco Bay towing five tugboats with my teeth <laughs> or whatever. You know, like now mm-hmm. now my goal is to become a, a like a total like freakish hard body exercise nut who talks to everybody about gluten intolerance on the, on public transit. And, 
you know, and, and I, and I, I catch myself doing it. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you sabotaging yourself by taking this good, this good thing, this unequivocally good thing that you've done simple and good and perverting it into, into a mania, which you, which then you will fail. And then like, it's like, I, I will snatch disappointment from the jaws of victory every time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm trying to talk myself out of that and just be content to be kind of a, you know, fit dad. But you're you're kind of getting at that the, there are two things here uh, that uh, are worth just separating. On the one hand, yes, you have lost a little weight, but let's just say it also, you are feeling better. You're feeling clearer, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. right? You're not feeling as... I'm in the clear. You're less foggy. Let's say I've gone clear. Yeah, let's say that you have, for the sake of argument, gone clear. Mm-hmm. Um but um, it, it's it's also like a little bit like I wouldn't not to say that you were like calcified, but like you had made your peace for better or for worse. Like okay, I'm John. And I don't wear skinny jeans and rah, and I don't right. want to talk about food. But I'm now not, I don't wear skinny jeans. I don't want to talk about food, and I'm gonna have a heart attack when I'm 54. <laughs> you know what? De- <laughs> biology's destiny, right? But <clears throat> but but the thing is though now also then that's but the the thing inside of all of that those two changes. There's also just the fact that now you know now that change is possible, which mm-hmm. is like a weirdly risky new proposition. Whereas it used to be like. Think about what you've been talking about fighting all the time for years, fighting, becoming calcified about music and culture and, you know, to stop being progressive and thinking about ideas. You don't want to become somebody who's just like stuck in their ways, for lack of a better word. But it's also a little bit scary, maybe risky, different, because now there's this whole world of possibilities out there that unseat your idea of, uh, of being a blue ice cream cone. And now you have to take in this new information and you don't have the security of just being a big lard ass. Well, that's precisely it. And, and what, what I come up against immediately or, or almost immediately after I begin thinking about this wor- new world of possibility is that there is a hard wall at the end, which is mortality. And so, so I start to think like, well, then I'll just get in, I'll get in the best shape of anybody and I'll become immortal. And I'll live forever, and I'll never get sick, and I'll never die. And then, then you go, well, no, you're actually still 45. The, the clock is ticking, and you are decaying right before your own <laughs> and eyes. And it doesn't look as cool as you think. Like, you know, you and I, like Jack LaLanne was pretty much always an old guy in our yeah, lifetime. Yeah, right. And every year on his birthday, <laughs> he'd do another, like, feat where, yeah. you know, increasingly less, like, strictly amazing feats. But he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna pull this this locomotive with using only the teeth of my mouth. Yeah. And then the next year, he's, like, pulling a toy train. And then the year after that, <laughs> he's just able to hold on to the bit, you know. And yeah, still but, amazing feats, but a lot of them involved his teeth, <laughs> which is a weird, like, that's yeah. not a thing you can make stronger, really. But also, I mean, was there ever a point in the, like, uh, you know, the 25 years that you and I are aware of that, was there ever a point where you're like, God, that guy... I sure is manly. It was more like, oh, well, yeah. Aren't you kind of like, oh, grandpa, cool grandpa. He's trying. Both because I think he was four foot eleven, mm-hmm. and and also he was always wearing that leotard. He was or that that, that full body like high waisted jumpsuit. It was real creepy and shiny. Creepy shiny jumpsuit, and and I I never remember thinking like Jack Lalanne. Now there's a guy. He kind of looks like George Costanza's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's like pulling a locomotive with his teeth. None of that is something I aspire to, even as a child. Well, but it's kind of like it's kind of like being like a foxy seventy-year-old woman. 
It's like mostly you're a 70 year old woman. Nothing against, but you know what I mean? Like when you watch Jekyll Lane, you go, wow, he's pretty strong for an old guy, but mostly he's an old guy. You don't, in his mind, he is clinging you know, clinging to youth and to vitality and, and that sprightliness that he's was so no, well no, known for. But like, we mostly just see somebody getting older and older and fighting it. Have you noticed this about, I, I mean, I I'm feeling this way now watching Clint Eastwood age and, and, uh, like, uh, Harrison Ford age and all those Hollywood stars that were, uh, that were always much older than us, but they were in the, uh, our whole lives they were kind of in their vital middle age mm-hmm. they were and they and they persisted in it long past like when they were 60 years old they were still and they were all still like like robert redford you know they, you know, they were all still to use that phrase in the 70s sex symbols there yeah, were still right. people where you go oh harrison ford it's creepy that he's in this movie with winona Ryder, but he's definitely like a handsome handsome guy yeah jack nicholson i mean these guys at 60 years old were paired with 24 year old actresses and it wasn't 100 percent cool but but it also like you, we still we still were projecting a tremendous. But it wasn't vitality. like Helen Mirren and Ashton Kutcher or something. Right. It wasn't something where you go, hmm, that's kind of strange. Hmm. But now watching them, they are like genuinely old people now. Yeah, and it is reflect like it it reflects to me like watching watching Clint Eastwood kind of dodder around like a like an ant, um, like a small ant, is making me making me sad like melancholy yeah yeah i just saw a trailer for the new captain america movie robert reverend's in it and you know he's 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 still a good looking guy but he's definitely an old guy now harrison ford his face looks like a chippendale couch (laughs) (laughs) and like harrison ford was in that uh jackie robinson movie and i kind of kind of didn't recognize him at first really well i mean i think he's definitely taken that turn he's not getting the old lesbian look is he Oh God, no! I just was looking at that that website the other day. Oh my God, what is it? It's it's men, men who look like old, old lesbians. Is that the yeah. site? Yeah. Oh my God, I cannot see that. It's pretty rude. But but um, I'm sorry, I'm taking you off your point. But it is there is definitely a certain point. You could, oh Robert Evans, boy, you definitely got this. There's a point that where you look at people like wow, you know. Like, okay, here, here's an example. Like George Clooney. George Clooney is still an extremely handsome middle aged guy. Harrison Ford. What's Harrison Ford? Probably 15 years older? Something like that, maybe? I don't know. I think he's in his 70s, isn't he? Is that right? I heard today uh, Clint Eastwood's getting divorced. Can you imagine being his age and getting divorced? So sad. That's a lot of work. When I just said that, when I just said, uh, I think he's in his 70s, I made that, like, scrunchy, scrunchy nose face. Oh, this face. I know. Of, of like, a UK person. He's in his 70s, isn't he? (laughs) Kind of nose up in the air, like, crinkly nose. I don't know why I did it. I never make that. What is face. that? What is that? I know exactly what you. What does it mean when we do oh, no. that? Yeah, it kind of get, get, get like a rabbit face. <laughs> it's like somebody handed you a kind of boxed candy you don't like. Yeah, and yeah. it's got cashews in it, and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> your nose goes up and your teeth come out. Yeah, what is it about what, that? What is it? About I don't know that? what I was. What? What? Why that inspired me to to suddenly turn into there is a like weird David like Copperfield. even as you even as they turn into chippendale furniture and you know robert reverence always had a certain kind of ruggedness mm-hmm. you know uh complexion wise uh but uh but there is there is i don't know what happens even if you like don't get plastic surgery you do kind of start to look like a, a woman you, you estrogenize a little bit yeah well i you know uh the first time i really saw that in uh in action was the first time i saw the um, psychedelic furs <laughs> 
<laughs> you said he looked like somebody's grandmother. <laughs> it just looked like he looked like a skinny little grandma. And uh and I was so I was so astonished at the at the gender benderiness of it. Because, you know, as a rock star, you're always gender bending. But not quite all the way to like, I'm your grandma. Do you think it's substance abuse? Because <clears throat> didn't Dudley Moore start to get that? Keith Moon, hmm. as young as he was, he started to get that a little bit. I bet it's I bet it's I bet it's riding hard on the body, partly. I'm still astonished at how young Keith Moon was when he died. And I'm amazed to see. I once again, I did my uh, my monthly viewing of a quick one while he's away from the rock and roll. Uh, <laughs> I watch so it, good. I watch it once a month because it's the greatest rock and roll performance of all time. It really is. And you watch it, and but I mean, even when you look at something like you watch, you know, watch him with the giant headphones doing "Who Are You." What was he? He was like to his head. (laughs) (laughs) He was like thirty-two or something. Incredible, right? He looks sixty. He looks so. I mean, he went. It was funny though. Like even around starting around Tommy. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe you know Keith Richards. Same thing. Like suddenly they just look different. Like within a period of like two years, they look like completely different people. Yeah, that's that's right. But Keith continued to be, I I think, gorgeous all the way through. 82 i mean through that whole that first initial period when he when he looked he was, better at one point he had, I mean, like feathers in his hair and stuff that was kind of cool when but like there was a point even when they were like pretty popular where he looked like an old witch yeah and and yeah, then yeah. then he started looking more like a pirate yeah he fleshed out a little bit yeah but, but now, he had a kind of cool looks gaunt. like a land jaeger <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a bucket sausage yeah he looks like a cheroot that somebody <laughs> uh stubbed out in an ashtray and yet, maybe he'll live forever. I mean, maybe he is the one. Yeah, you, you think a lot of that's from smoking, right? The smoking gives you that kind of drawn look. <clears throat> well, and again, it's another. It's a. It's a factor of like it's a physiological factor of him being literally five foot two. Hmm? He is so small. All hmm. those guys in the Rolling Stones are so small. I didn't know that. You could put, you could put the entire Rolling Stones in a pint glass, and <laughs> and then and then put. Probably half a can of whipped cream in in two, like half a spray canister of whipped cream, and it wouldn't overflow the pint glass. Hmm. They're that small. Hmm. So they were made, you know, I think the Rolling Stones were like bred to chase rats down holes, or I mean, they are a different, almost a different kind of human being from the lumbering, uh, like stone trolls that were my ancestors. <laughs> You're so mythic. It says here Keith Richards is 5'9", but I'll bet... Baloney. Baloney. You think so? You think it's lifts? He's 5'9 in Prince boots. <laughs> Boy, Ron Wood. Look at that guy. Oh, now he... Have you ever watched the videos, uh, YouTube videos of Ron Wood on stage, like, shit-faced? No, no. I've seen some old faces stuff, but I've, I've never seen that. No, there's there's some like footage of him in the '90s, I think, uh, where he's on stage and he's just blotto. Mm. And he, you, even though he's one of the richest and most successful musicians in the world, you want to, you, you can't help but feel sorry for him because he is so dogged by his, you know, by the by the feeling that like he's he has to wake up and drink four bottles of cognac a day because. He, he's never known anything different. I mean, I don't know where he's at right now, but there are some videos on, on the internet of, of uh, Ron Wood stumbling around and like just... Ugh. I just don't find that as appealing as I used to. You know, I can see how the like 
I don't know. I, I'm reading. Um, I know you're you're a fan of these kinds of accounts too. Like reading about the making of um, what's the one with Rocks Off, the famous one. Um, oh, the record album. Some that girls. one. The, the, uh, no, no. You know the oh, one. The uh, one. The one. <laughs> the one where like uh, where the French police were like trying to like they were like raiding Keith's house. Oh my God! Oh, I'm, you're talking about you're talking about the double record. Why did you do that? You just you just you just took the record out of my mind. It's your Mean Streets. It's Tumbling Dice. It's wow. This is really Exile on Mean Streets. Yes, on. Ah, you pushed it. You actually pushed that turd back in my brain. Yeah, I got the turtle back in the shell. I had to like. Ugh. But reading yeah. accounts of like them, them trying to make that record, it sounds like poor Charlie Watt was always like a pretty like a normal English guy who drank tea and had a job playing drums, you know. And it just sounds like it must have just been miserable to be in an environment like that. Just everybody's just all fucked up all the time, and yeah. heroin well, and doesn't Charlie, make things good. No, heroin is a bad drug. But Charlie, I think, rented a house like 150 miles. He did up in central France or something where he didn't speak any French and he complained the whole time that he couldn't get Pim's tea. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, <laughs> he's just, yeah, I just picture him like walking down to the corner store and, uh, and saying to the guy, no, Pim's. But then Pim's they like, like record in the basement. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like the whole thing was just such a debacle. It's amazing the record turned out as well as it did. But I just, I, you know, when you hear accounts of stuff like that, when I was in, you know, even in college, I would go, wow, that's really cool. It's, you know, to, again, back to Dessassant, it, it's so decadent. Like yeah. you just, you, you sit around and, you know, you, you make rock music and, and you like don't know what day it is. And man, that is so ridiculously unappealing. There's times to me now, I'm sure my wife feels this 10 times more, but I think, oh boy, it would be nice to have have a week to just go dick around and not have to be anywhere but man the idea of like sitting around in a basement in france doing heroin is like just not my idea of fun yeah well i i come up against this all the time because you know i haven't i have not uh had like a substance like a mind-altering substance i have not had any alcohol or drugs in almost 20 years wow but i have resolutely refused to live in a sober ghetto of life and so I spend almost all my time around people who are on drugs. And some of my very good friends are on drugs, like 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 really? seriously, like st- still on drugs. Not no, just, sh- are you shitting me? Yeah, not just like getting stoned sometimes. You're just talking about like, drinking a lot and smoking weed. I'm talking about drinking a lot and also taking drugs, serious drugs, hard drugs, and being a drug, drug person mm-hmm. and being in denial about what being a drug person means for them short term and long term. I mean, this is true of some very close friends of mine and also a lot of people that I know socially and and so I'm I'm always in the I'm I'm almost every day I am confronted with the question again like why are people taking drugs? Do you John want to go back on drugs? Like every day, I ask myself, "Hmm, would you like to go back on drugs right now?" Hey, you like, tried skinny jeans. There are drugs all around you all the time. Would you? Are you interested in taking some drugs? And <clears throat> I took a lot of drugs, so I don't have a. I, like when when I quit drinking, it was right before the single malt Scotch revolution, and the flavored alcohol, the artisanal alcohol scene. 
So there are a lot of alcohols that I missed out on. You quit. You quit around like Rolling Rock getting popular. Yeah, right. I stopped. I stopped drinking alcohol in 1994. Yeah, and immediately afterward, like you know, wine snobbery was always a thing. But immediately, it seems like immediately afterward in the late 90s, it was all that whiskey talk and all the like. Oh, you've got to try this. It's from the barrel that Sir Walter Riley once pissed in on his <laughs> way to. The, and it's like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Well, you know, I drank a lot of whiskey, and maybe it wasn't great whiskey. And a lot of times it was the worst whiskey. It was 10 high whiskey out of a gallon plastic jug. But I, you know, like I did not have very much melancholy about not savoring the great whiskeys, you know. But as far as like pharmaceutical drugs go, to whatever degree, new technologies have produced new ways of feeling like your hands are like two balloons. Um, I, I like there's there's no new high that I feel like I missed out on except maybe bath salts or um what's that other that uh that shit that they smoke oh sativa where you smoke this stuff not sativa I think something so some new like, like a super her- pot herbal thing that you smoke and have like like two minute long PCP hallucinations oh god and and it's Ugh. It's really, it's really big with a with a certain kind of William Gibson adoring cyberpunk. Oh, does it have like a special dispenser that clicks or something? I, it, you I think only, that's the thing. I think you get a lot of people hooked on drugs if it was more like a Phil K. Dick novel. Yeah, if you had a little like a some yeah some kind you of. You notice how many look like inhalers? Well, all drugs are headed toward inhaler status. I think now people are inha- they're inhaling their weed, and we're just going to be we're just going to it's going to be like Dune where. The, where everybody walks around with a tube in their mouths. <laughs> but in any case, so so every day I'm confronted anew, you know, sometimes in the company of people that I, that I, I don't just admire but adore, who at a certain point in the night are, are like fucked up, pi, pi, pinned eyeballs and like, uh, and, and not falling down, but like not doing good. But like not in control of their faculties. No longer, let's say, no Not longer. Not a good conversationalist. No longer fun. Yeah, okay. it becomes it becomes a rescue mission at a certain point. Like we got to chopper this guy out of the LZ and get him back to Saigon to triage. As Saigon being like his or her apartment, <laughs> where they're going to sit, where they're going to sit in front of the television until they pass out. And so, but 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 I'm always reflecting internally, like it. Is there something about that that is appealing to me? Do I pursue this anymore, even in my imagination? Why are my friends, even in middle age, still so attracted to this? And it's it's not an academic question because it comes up over and over. My relationships with these people are hamstrung, not because there's a gulf between us because I don't do drugs, but because there's a gulf between them and everyone Yeah, because they are because they are using these drugs as a substitute for, for uh, you know, for authentic feeling or for growing well, up. At a certain point, doesn't matter what it started out as a substitute for, because now it's the load bearing wall. Right. Exactly. But this question of like, is it glam? Is Keith Richards glamorous? Is is drug taking glamorous? Where is the glamour in it? And when it becomes, you know, when it transitions from like, I'm 22. 
what are my limits to like, I'm 42 and this is my pattern. Uh, I mean, I, you know, like, like I say, I see people in all stages of being fucked up and, the, and I don't, and I know what it feels like from inside. And I honestly don't understand how it retains this hold on people beyond just the, like the, the physical need that manifests itself in their minds as an emotional need. You know, I, I was watching this special the other day, Trey Parker and Matt Stone went to the Oscars in those dresses. Remember that? Mm. Uh, 15 years ago or something. They, they, they wore, uh, they wore dresses to the Oscars and it mm. was, a, it was, a, it was in all the, uh, it was on the third page of every newspaper, but they were on LSD. Oh, Oh yeah. And, and uh, and I was watching the there was kind of a little bit of footage of them like on the on the red carpet uh, like and clearly tripping balls and I look at that and I go <clears throat> okay that is that's pretty cool that's a thing to have done it would be cool to have gone to the Oscars on LSD but even even that I mean watching them standing there and like their eyes bugging out and and. Uh, their their mouths really dry, <laughs> um, and then knowing that they were that the joke was going to wear off when they went in and had to sit in a chair for two or two and a half hours or four hours or however long, sit in a chair surrounded by um, monster lizard people in really expensive <laughs> clothes. Uh, it it, it uh, my takeaway was like even that kind of is only cool to have done. It wasn't well, probably even cool to do. I, I the way I think about, I never thought about this till till just now. But um, I think if I look at the way that I dealt with substances when I was younger, I, I wouldn't have said this at the time. But think about with most people, just think about like even if you're a dumb frat boy, think about all the competition about drinking and like who's going to drink more or who yeah. can who, who's like going to not pass out. But yeah. even in my own case, like in a way, I I think it was me like facing down. Facing down the substances, like I could, I could do a lot of this. I could take a lot of that, and but it was that adversarial re- relationship, that frenemy relationship with um, substances that made it fun. Like, because it is really no fun to get your ass kicked by by you know taking way too much of something. <laughs> but but you can have a fun adversarial re- relationship with weed, where you keep pushing it as far as you can until you're almost a crazy person, and that's fun for a while. It's just that I, I think at at some I'm going to guess that at some certain point, um, it stops being a social thing and it stops being something where you're a worthy opponent and then the substance starts winning and you sort of are slumped in the back seat while the substance drives in some ways where, you know, when you're young, like you might want to say, oh man, I'm tripping really hard. This is really, really great. I hope I don't trip anymore. Or I'm going to lose my mind. Um, but then as you get older, I mean, and that becomes more of a, if you like a habit, it's a probably an unfortunate choice of words, but mm-hmm. something that you start doing a lot. Um, I don't think it has that same spirit anymore. I, I think I think it's become something that you do so much and so often that it becomes the equivalent of a vitamin or of reading the paper or something or you know or of coffee, whatever it is. But I, I know I don't feel that. Like when I hear something like, "Oh man, can you imagine going out and having a week long binge and just <laughs> like, oh my god, no, I can't." <laughs> I, I can imagine that making me want to take a nap just hearing it right now. 
Yeah. And, and, but I, but I don't know if that makes any sense because it seems to me that that was at least some com- component of your, uh, of your deal was that facing it down and like, you're not going to, you're not going to kick my ass, buddy. I'm going to kick your ass. Like, you're going to have to knock me out. You think you can take me alcohol? You're going to have to knock me out. You know what well, I mean? And alcohol very seldom could knock me out. Exactly. I mean, I, and that's, that's what, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but wasn't I, that element part of it? I always think of it as a, as a dance with feeling. And I mean, those, those early experiences with drugs were this tremendously powerful and positive dance with feeling because as a young person, uh, my emotions were all completely walled off and I did not have a way of expressing joy or fear even, or, I mean, all emotions got channeled into either depression or, um, you know, the, the, the sort of this kind of equilibrium or like, like a, a sort of a, a sarcasm. Sarcasm was, was my positive emotion and depressive depression was my negative one. When I discovered these drugs, it was so exciting because I had a, I had a, I had a relationship with feeling all of a sudden hmm. and <clears throat> you could drink three Bartles and James and be, av- and suddenly be available to people and be in a room and feel like uh feel like a, a new relationship to positive feelings and then also a, a like a, a a nuanced relationship with negative feelings and so those th- those early experiences are so were, were so amazing to me because oh, like you could acknowledge the negativity without becoming too involved in it right or i didn't you know i it, yeah, I yeah like a, a little bit of temporary distance from something that used to be consuming yeah, I could, or I could yell at my friend about something that he was doing that I, that during normal waking hours, I would just, I would never confront him over. I would just, I would stare at the floor and he would stare at the floor. Um, and, but as time went on, you know, I, I picture myself at 23 years old uh, on a couch with my 25th beer in my hand. And a pot pipe in my other hand, and a dip of chewing tobacco in my lip, and a cigarette burning in the ashtray, <laughs> and an eighth of mushrooms wearing off in me. Oh God! And I'm thinking, okay, I've got a I, I and, and what I <laughs> almost done. <laughs> what I yeah, and what I think, and then and I'm sitting there like I just need, about there. <laughs> I need something. I need a shot of tequila. Or but it's something. like it's like a graphic. It's like an eleven band equalizer involving your mind. Like, yeah, you're trying well, to tweak well, the levels. <laughs> I feel like I'm laying on this couch and I've got a I've got a a shield on me, and then I've got a garbage can lid on top of that, and then a blanket, and then a one of those silver blankets that keeps you warm in winter, and then a big sign that says, you know, don't touch. Like, how many layers of protection against feeling do I need at a certain point? Like, uh, like feeling... Uh, be, having Using drugs to reveal feeling to myself and to reveal myself to feeling, then... I wasn't uh, what 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 alcohol and drugs don't do is equip you to incorporate real feeling into your life. And so then th- those feelings become overwhelming, but you're not developing skills to incorporate them or grow in those feelings. And so then you're surrounded by intense feelings you can't incorporate. 
And then you're just trying to protect yourself against your feelings. Hmm. And as time went on, I'm, I'm, I'm on this couch under the weight of 25 garbage can lids, just trying to keep the, just trying to feel safe, you know? And what, what the fuck was that dip of chewing tobacco supposed to do? Like, I'm so fucked up. I can't, I can't, I can't put, lift my feet up on the coffee table, but I'm like, <laughs> I need a chew. I just, you know what? The chew is going to even me out. Like the, and I've, I'm, I've, I'm already smoking a cigarette. It's like, I'll put a dip in just to like, that's the thing that's going to cut the. Hmm. I never thought about that feeling part. That's interesting. Yeah. But, and as time goes on, when you get to be 40 years old and you have been, you've been using drugs and alcohol as your, as your substitution for feeling or as your proxy for your actual feelings. Or, or, Or as your compressor limiter for feeling. Compressor limiter for feelings. You know, it starts to get, you, you start to get scared. And I think it happens a lot, a lot, a lot before you're 40. I mean, you start to get scared pretty early because you don't have another, you don't have another way of, 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 um, compressing and limiting feelings. And so consequently, they feel like maybe they are, un, maybe they have unlimited power. Hmm. And if you don't have these things to tamp them down or to, to look at them through, maybe they will, maybe unleashed they will poison you or destroy you this you know the second they get the chance that's what it feels like mm-hmm. you know you feel like oh my god these feelings are going to overwhelm me and without you know without my like garbage can lids i'm just a i'm just a, a like a I'm just a naked scallop just pulsating on the beach mm-hmm. waiting for the seagull of feelings <laughs> To pluck me from my shell. Oh, God. <laughs> I used to really like. I got. I, I don't know. I was thinking the other day. Like I, I had this this feeling and this thought that I did not want to acknowledge, but I, I, I guess I'm acknowledging it now by saying it. Is um, I used to I used to completely poo poo what people would say about you know all the kind of scare stuff in the '60s, especially about what psychedelics would do to you. You know how it would fry your brain and and all that kind of stuff and. You know, I, with that said, I, I knew enough people at my college who did ecstasy every weekend to see that it didn't take more than a few months of doing ecstasy every weekend to be a really different person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even need to do a spinal tap. I'm just here to tell you that you're really, you're really, you've gotten real goofy, like as yeah. a person. But, but there's, I, the other day I was just sitting there and thinking, and I've only done it. I mean, I've done a lot of really exotic stuff. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, and it was all really mostly over auto, four year auto, period. Auto. Auto asphyxiation. Yeah, <laughs> got my special Mark Marin belt. I, <laughs> I, um, I, uh, you know what it is. I was thinking. Well, I guess what I was thinking was, I wonder. I wonder in my heart of hearts if if problems I ever have with all the seven dwarves of bad emotions. You know, of like of all the anxiety, fear, worry. Um, I, I, I always wonder whether there's things about my cognition that got thrown um, off of true. By, by psychedelics. And I never wanted to think about it. And I've only, and it's not like I don't feel like racked or anything like that, but I do think about that because I, that's what I enjoyed. The feeling stuff, sure, for me, but more I loved just having the sense of humor that I've got and having the, the, I don't know, just the dark, the dark inner world that I've got. There would be things about tripping and thinking about high school and how stupid something was that just delighted me no end. I smoke yeah. pot to laugh at stuff. 
yeah. not so much for feeling, but there was something about being able to reframe an event uh, and think of it in a different way. Well, obviously, you start laughing at really stupid stuff. From every, that's what I loved, but that's what I worry now. I wonder if my sights got knocked off to the left or the right a little too much from those days. Do you ever, well, wonder, do you ever wonder about that? Well, and I think it, I think I think when I say feelings, I mean <clears throat> that you know, like using the drugs to get to that to get to that place of to e- even the lightheartedness or the the vision of the world that that the that the drugs provide. Like it's I I I still feel like it's all in the language of feelings, you know, or in the language of like translating your thoughts and feelings into into um like a like a, a thing that you can approximate a thing that you can uh handle and i mean i i still have i guess what i what i could only describe as flashbacks in the sense that i i revisit a thing that i only ever saw <laughs> or only ever felt under psychedelics mm-hmm. and i don't feel like it's a flashback like oh the choppers you know yeah fuck Viet Cong. I mean, that, all that Viet Cong stuff that I see is in real time, and it's happening now. <laughs> but, the, but like, you know, those moments where you realize through psychedelics, like, how, how small and inane human uh, endeavor is, but also how, like, how beautiful and how Koyana Squatsy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that stuff still happens, and I'll still see a certain cast of light that kind of excites the, excites that part of my brain but i don't feel like i was broken or even even bent out of true so much as um well uh, by drugs uh as much as i was by the by the punishment that i inflicted on myself during those years you know mm-hmm. i didn't need to punish myself so hard and it made me a different person by virtue of just the, um, I don't think I have like a, a cower reaction. Uh, it's kind of the opposite. You know, I, I like lead with my nose. Yeah. But, but, but that whole business of scheduling drugs, like, and, and I, and I see this all the time, particularly now that that pot is legal in Washington state, this, this huge advocacy that people feel that pot is a, medicine or that it's um, a sacrament or that it, you know pot is is better than alcohol but worse than cigarettes but maybe better than cigarettes or that lsd is better you can, than, in san francisco you can smoke pot a lot more places than cigarettes well yeah and now i mean there are people that would never smoke a cigarette that are smoking pot up up and down well in somebody's house like it's not unusual to be at a party in somebody's parks a doobie, but boy, you light up a cigarette, you're right Hitler thrown in the fireplace. Yeah, but but for me, like I I never I, there was a while where I felt um, just socially the where, where, where we all get pressured into thinking of drugs on a on a schedule, and that heroin and crack are somehow way out in the distance, and pot okay and aspirin are up here in the foreground and this whole gateway drug idea um but for me personally like i have i i tried all those drugs and had 
a kind of profound experience with each one of them. And they each have a kind of magical piece of the puzzle to deliver. And I have watched people suffer under all those drugs. And the people that I know in their 40s who are laboring under their marijuana addiction are at just as much a disadvantage as the people I know in their 40s who are still heroin addicts and are managing that problem. But to, And the pot people are uh, – like God love them. They're surrounded by other people who are more than happy to agree with them about how like getting really stoned a couple times a day is just – they can really you find a lot of commonality or comedy, you know what I mean? And like meeting other people like that and you can kind of chuck each other on the shoulder and go like it's cool that we get really wasted like at least once a day. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that sh- becomes that becomes totally normal and then you surround yourself with that and that becomes I don't mean to sound judgy, but like I've just I've met some people that just it just seems like they're in a constant stupor and don't have any way to realize that they're in a constant stupor. Well, and particularly like over the course of 20 years of smoking pot when when like like any drug or like any food, if pot is both the reward for a job well done and a good day, and pot is also the consolation for a bad day, mm-hmm. then what pot is is what you are doing instead of having feelings. What you are doing instead of sitting there and thinking about what happened today and feeling those feelings again and processing it and growing. Right, it, the the pot is at least interjecting itself, or you are interjecting it in between your real lived experience and the very necessary sort of proto dreaming that we all need to do at the end of the day, where it's like today was a bad day. I had a bad day today, and I don't. I'm not going to watch TV right now. I'm not going to have a hit of pot or a glass of wine. I'm going to sit for here for a minute, and I'm just going to reflect on what went down. And if if you're not doing that, then you're then you are in a kind of whirlpool where you're just going back out the next day and hoping that it doesn't happen again. But you're not you're not uh, you're not reflecting. You're introducing another element into the reflection that is supposed to, you know, that you say to yourself is calming you or is making you know that glass of wine is necessary to unwind at the end of the day and it's like really is unwinding what you need to be doing or do you need to be like wondering what you know like wondering what happened and 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 what to do differently so i i feel like like i i I know a guy in seattle who runs a multi-million dollar enterprise and every day he gets up in the morning and he makes a bunch of business decisions that are that keep his business going <laughs> and keep the and keep the money coming in and then he goes out to lunch and by two o'clock in the afternoon he has had a handful of pills, four lines off the back of a toilet. He spent six hundred dollars at lunch and consumed two bottles of something and then he goes back to work. Wow. And from they call two, that high bottom. From two that's a very to, that's very high bottom. Yeah, from two <laughs> o'clock to six o'clock, he continues to make business decisions. Right, but now he is uh, he is basically undoing the work he does every morning, and somehow he makes it. You know, like somehow he gets to the end of the day, and he is like 
Borderline. He has some wine to unwind after that. Yeah, he has a little bit of wine to unwind. He's borderline <laughs> date raping his assistant. Oh, he no. is like everybody in the town is like this guy. Oh my god! Like somebody stop him! But of course nobody can. And because he's a millionaire, everybody's just like, well, you know, he is a millionaire. He is. He does make it work somehow. And what for whatever, however, this guy's metabolism works. It sounds like morning, a kind of sounds like a kind of grudging admiration. Well, a no, right, seriously, bit. I mean, where you go, wow, like, I mean, it hasn't fallen apart yet, right? But also a kind of a kind of fear that's in everybody of like, well, I don't want to, you know, it's one thing to confront a guy who is who is is vomiting on himself on the sidewalk in front of the bar, but it's another thing to confront a guy who is being helped into his limo by his two assistants. Um, especially if if you and I can't afford a limo. It, it, yeah, it, right. it, it seems you, like uh you know ungraceful to, to to point that out say like hey you know what all these you know this limo and these two assistants and all these drugs are just garbage can lids that you're piling on top of yourself on the couch and maybe you should have a chew at a party in 1992 <laughs> maybe you should take a chew too because that's really going to take the edge off but you know i mean there isn't a there by the same token you know i look at him and i go he's running a business at a level that that escapes me. Yeah. I do not get up at five o'clock in the morning and make six hours of really super good business decisions before taking my first like handful of Percocets. <laughs> I, I got up this morning and drank coffee out of a beer mug in the bathtub reading about Sandra Bullock. <laughs> you haven't had a, hadn't ha- haven't had a, a single sex crime all day. Not a say. I have not, I have not made an assistant feel weird about herself in 48 hours yeah you're really limiting yourself i I, I think when i don't know i don't want to say when it's younger when you're younger but i i think there's there if 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 you were going to try and summarize a lot of what makes people unaccidentally do intoxicants um it has something to do with what i would call the possibilities of self like when you're very young, I think it's hard to really understand all the possibilities of self for better or for worse. And in your case, that might make you feel less inhibited to say something or to feel something or to be aware of a feeling that you have. That's a certain kind of possibility of self. Um, but I mean, I think pretty much all the drugs that we're talking about have those qualities to them where, you know, if you do a whole bunch of blow, I'm given to believe your possibilities of self can seem extremely ambitious. You but, feel pretty good about the future. Pretty selfie. <laughs> in the first 10 minutes after you do a bunch of blow. You feel my, like the future's pretty bright. But in, but in my case, you know, um, LSD could show me possibilities of self that I wouldn't have had access to in such a, you know, incontrovertible, like bald way. Like, wow, this, I feel like I can see this thing with this clarity that I couldn't before. Absolutely. So, I I mean, I don't know when that turns into something that becomes problematic, but I mean, I think like you're getting at, I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to be like a, what a prude. It's just that like, I'm, I'm really, in some ways, I'm really glad that I had a safe place to fuck around with those possibilities of self um, for a small amount of time. Yeah. And I'm glad I didn't keep trying to figure that out too much, too often, too much. Well, and this is for 20 about, more years about trying to, trying to come up with a, uh, like a, 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 a cool drug policy for the future. Because I, I really do believe that everybody who is curious should try every drug. And, 
and should try every drug more than once. Mm-hmm. But the but there is a moment where you are with every single drug chasing the dragon and trying to recapture the feeling that you that you had, you know. And with with LSD, if you took LSD a couple of times a week for a whole summer, you would have a, a whole variety of experiences and it would be mind expanding and and I think it would be an overall net positive for you. But at the end of the summer, you would already start to feel like, oh, this trip isn't getting me to that to the place that some of those trips in midsummer did, you know? And with cocaine and with mushrooms and with MDMA and heroin even, like all, and certainly crack, um, like you do it the first time and you're like, holy mother of God. And then the second time it's like, you cannot believe you're there again. And there, and that, that climb it's it, it doesn't fall off immediately. Like they, you keep climbing, and the, the fifth time you do it, it's like that's why the fifth time you do it, you, you have a tendency to think, "I have found my new band," right? Like that moment that I had really high when I was driving around to Anchorage with my friend Peter, and I said, and we were listening to "Thick as a Brick," and I said, "You know what? Jethro Tull is going to be my new band." <laughs> I am going to go down the Jethro Tull fan hole and and that's going to set me apart because there aren't a lot of Jethro Tull fans that I know that are like deep, deep fans. And it's going to be me. Jethro Tull is going to be my band. And Peter was like, I don't that, know, man. That aren't druids or Wiccans. Yeah. He was like, I don't know, man. Are you sure about that? And I was like, I mean, we were both pretty, pretty wasted. And I said, I'm pretty sure that Jethro Tull like speaks to me in this way. And then, of course, the next day I was like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Jethro Tull can't be my band. But, you know, everybody has that experience on the, you know, the fifth time they do a drug where it's just like, this is my thing. This is my jam. Mm-hmm. And almost immediately after that, you start get it's diminishing returns. So how we could approach drugs as a culture and say, like, listen, it's like Rumspringa. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, you, you leave the village and you go on your drug odyssey because I meet people all the time who say, I have never taken a drug. And I go, oh, really? Jesus, man, you should try some drugs. They're astonishing. Well, A, don't start now, but B, what a bummer. You really should have 20 years ago. Yeah, but even like a 40-year-old who's never taken LSD, it's like, okay, I don't think you should take LSD and get on the subway by yourself. Yeah. But if you went out to the beach... With Oof, I worry about my neuroplasticity, John. Is Oof. that right? You think you think it would you think it might actually zap you? I mean, I've known some people. That one guy in particular that LSD ruined his life and turned him into a. Or I think it's probably into schizophrenia. It's probably like chickenpox. Like you know, do it before you're 35, or there's going to be problems. That's my guess. You, you think you would come back from a trip and just be like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, barren? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I just. Uh, I just, my body and my, I would like to think my, albeit unformed mind, uh, I, I definitely had more plasticity and more bounce back in general. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to deny people the, the, the joy and really terror of LSD. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, have you have you not experienced the terror of LSD? Uh, you need to correct that. You should be terrified. You should be terrified at the Oscars or Disney World. It's really fun. I do fear that the 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 idea because I always held out the possibility. Like, okay, I understand that psychedelics are not strictly an addictive drug. Mm-mm. And when I am fifty years old, maybe I'll want to go out to the you know, the northern coast and stand on a windswept <laughs> rock and take some LSD. Go out to Canocti Harbor and see Holland Oats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, 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 no. Just go out and, like, watch the whales. Okay. But then I, then I recall those times when I would be sitting, when I would be sitting on the quad of my college, naked, uh, wrapped in a blanket, and um, trying everything I could to keep the complete panic oh my god oh i don't miss that and saying like do not panic this is not you know this will not last forever do please do not lose your last toehold with reality and then imagining myself now with with as you're describing like my complete lack of plasticity Mm -hmm. now and just feeling what the recovery on that would be today no 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 yeah I, i just i think of like Ah, uh, like a Wyndham Hill album on repeat that I somehow couldn't get to to turn off, and having one thought in my head, which is that this is the only thought in my head, and this may be the only thought in my head that I ever have it, and, and my brain has stopped working. You know, I used to really, I used to really be into the fact that I could think, and 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 then I would sit there and I would think this is the last thought I'm ever going to think, and I'm going to think it forever, and the, the thought that I'm thinking is that this is the last thought that I'm ever going to think, and I'm going to think it forever. <laughs> and, and that's seeming while while like Wyndham Hill violin music is playing, just thinking there's absolutely there's no proof in the entire universe to show me that this will ever be any different. I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> right now sitting here, and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. I, w- I was hitchhiking uh, and ended up in Durango, Colorado, uh, one time, and got into a pickup truck with a guy, and he was like, "Want to go to a party?" And I was like, absolutely. And he said, want some acid? And I said, absolutely. And we show up at this party and it's like a, it's like a, on the surface of it, it's a cool scene, right? It's like a, it's like a country kind of house on some land. And there's a bunch of cool, cool cats there and, and pretty girls in, in flower print dresses and dogs lolling around on the porch. And I kind of walk into this party. And the acid starts coming on and I look uh, and everybody kind of looks at me and there is no welcome. No one's welcoming. Mm. And I'm like, Hey, hi, how are you? I'm just, I just got a ride with this guy and now I'm here and, uh, you know, I'm a young, a young person just like you guys. And everybody was like, "Mm -hmm." and so now I'm out in the woods in this, at this house party and I'm coming on some kind of strychnine acid oh, God. and no one is friendly. Well, you feel and like I, the nerves have, have been lightly toasted. Yeah. And I felt myself oh, on I can the, feel it right now. Oh. I felt myself on the edge of falling off this precipice of like, oh. this is not going to go well. This is not going to be fun. And I went and I sat on the, I sat in a chair on the porch and I'm petting this dog. And I'm like, dog, you and me, we're going to get through this together. 
and the dog just walks off. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well. You're really alone now. Thanks a lot, buddy. And I basically just went like walking in the woods and eventually found another house party and ended up sitting on the living room floor. I'm pretty sure stacking paper clips <laughs> for a couple of hours. And then the cops came to the party and busted the party. And I was so glad to see them. I was like so <laughs> thrilled that the cops were there because I felt like the cops and I had a long-term understanding with one another. They wouldn't I leave mean, you like a dog. Yeah. It's just like, right. The cops. I mean, at least I can talk to the cops. You know, what you're, you know you can, they're dependable. Cops. They're dependable, and you can say, like, hey, man, how's it going out there? A lot of parties tonight? And they're just, like, looking over your shoulder trying to figure out who's in this place. And it's like, hey, I'll talk to you guys. I mean, you know, I'm not from here. Want to see my ID? And but, but, <laughs> Come look at my paper clips. <laughs> yeah. Want to see what I've been Want to see what I've been doing? They're over here. Uh, I, had, I had to do it kind of out of the way because there's a lot of traffic through this party. But, like, the whole night long, just, like, staving off panic, and, and particularly at the beginning of a thing like that, knowing that, like, okay, this is an eight-hour thing now. For the next eight hours, I'm going to just be chain-smoking camel filters, stacking paper clips, and trying to, trying to talk to any receptive pet. <laughs> and just, like, hoping that the cops come by or hoping that somebody interesting, like, comes around. and not It was an uncool scene. I still reflect on that sometimes. How did you get back to where you started out? You, did, you had to get a ride from a stranger with strange acid, strange acid in a strange land. How did you get back to where you were, where you started out? Well, this was the thing about me at that time. There was no back. I ended up coming down off of the acid and I was at some place and I went to sleep on the couch and I woke up in the morning and that's where I was. I mean, I had my little bag of, of my little pack of underwear and socks and I woke up uh, at this new house with these new kind of unfriendly people and, you know, charmed my way into a cup of coffee. And then I started off walking down the dirt road. Just like uh, just like Bruce Banner at the end of every episode of The Incredible Hulk. Only now you can't find your slippers. <laughs> 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 